to your second coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's good to see some people in this house. It's great to see the people of God coming in together to gather um, as we continue to to look to the Lord, especially during this uh, Christmas season. As Courtney had said, 2020 has arrived and 2020 will hopefully be gone forever in our minds. As we can imagine that 2020 has been a very challenging year, but with challenges, we can grow. Amen? All right. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. There you go. Okay. So even though we have challenges, even though it's tough in America, we can still get over this and overcome these challenges in our lives. So we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, we're in our last week in our sermon, Christmas Unmasked. As we have been talking about God the Father who unmasked his son here on earth. We started with the first week with the Redeemer. Second week we talked about that he is our light. And now this week we want to talk about Jesus being our peace. And as Jesus is our peace, what does that really mean? I mean, we understand as Christians that we often hear it. But what does the word peace mean? really intend in our lives. In fact, I just asked the question, what does it mean to have the peace of God? Now, we have to be careful because that word of can be changed when we say, what does it mean to be at peace with God? There's two different things there because we can define the peace of God in many subjective ways in our minds. We can look at our lives and think that My circumstances, my situations are at peace. Therefore, I must be at peace with God. Therefore, I must have the peace of God in my life. Is that true? I mean, we have to ask a couple other questions. How do we measure the peace we have in our lives? And how does this associate with God? And I looked up the word peace this past week just to see what was the definition of peace, if you Google it. And it says this. It says, freedom from disturbance quiet and tranquility. Well, the Italian culture is out because we're loud and we are not peaceful people. We're always, you know, disturbing one another, interrupting each other through talk. So that will, we would be out. But just imagine if that, that would just be tranquility, just to be able to just move away from all of that. Or a second one could be a state or period in which there was no war or war has ended. I mean, some people could remember, if you're old enough to know, that back in uh, just at the time when World War II ended, the jubilee, the joy all around our nation and around the world, that this war that it just was heavy on us, was oppressing us here in the nation, had come to an end. And there was peace all around everyone, just the, the parades all around the nation and people getting excited And the troops were coming back from war. Although loved ones were lost in the war, people were still at peace that no one else would have to lose another person in their family. And we saw that recently with the Iraq war in the early 2000s. 
And then you have another uh, meaning that says a ceremonial handshake or kiss exchanged during a service in church settings. So you would greet one another. Now, I know growing up in, in our culture that whenever someone came to our house, we had to greet them with a kiss on both sides. And my wife and I both grown up in our culture. So my mother would always say, go up there and kiss that person. And hated it as a kid and couldn't stand it, but I had to do it. And um, my, my wife probably loved it because she just, you know, that's just my wife's demeanor. She loves just about anything like that. But I couldn't stand it as a little boy. But now in the Bible, it says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, it's mentioned three times. So now we as Christians, back at least in the first century or so, that it was cultural for them to greet one another with a kiss. Where's text when you need them? Where's text when you need them? There's a guy in our church who loves to go around kissing and hugging everyone. I mean, we're missing some of that. So we're missing the hugs. We're missing the handshakes. We're missing the kiss on the neck. I like to hug, hug up and just say, hey, you know, my brother, sometimes I give him a little kiss on the neck. It's kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the godfather thing. Just kiss him on the neck because it feels good because it feels like you're just embracing someone with love and, and, and peace. There's a, there's a sense of that. But sometimes we can define this peace in our lives as problem-free or no conflict. Let me give you an example. I say, I have no conflict in my life because everybody agrees with me. <laughs> I don't have any conflict in my life because my spouse is being very nice to me, <laughs> so there's no conflict. Uh, the kids are behaving well. Uh, they're doing what I tell them to do. No, no talking back, no questioning. Everything is great. Or the job is going great. My boss is being nice. I got a good bonus. Hey, everything is great. Uh, no demands. No pressures in life. Hey, everything is great. There's peace. No financial issues. Nothing's breaking down in the house. Hey, everything's great. In fact, the annoying family member is not coming this year because of COVID-19. All right. That's, I'm already thanking the Lord for that. You guys not laughing at that? Okay, maybe you don't have a family member. Um, I know I do. Okay, so we have plenty of those family members. But even if you check at all of this list and say everything's good, is there still conflict in our lives? I would say, yes, there could be. Why? We could blame covid with the lack of connection and freedom that we have today. We could blame the media because they no longer report the news. They make an opinion about the national and global news. We could blame the politics and blame those who don't agree with our politics. That could be a conflict. We can blame those who support racial injustice, or we could blame those who, do, who don't support racial injustice but do nothing about it. So you can say, well, I don't know, support it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to do anything about it. We can blame anyone, and we can have conflict about anything. However, with everything mentioned, I would still suggest that even if those things were great, and our society was great, and there was no conflict, that I still think there would be conflict. Because I think the conflict remains in me. You can speak for yourself, but I'll speak for me. 
I know that ultimately when I understand peace and what God has offered to us is that God has never said that we would have peace here on earth. God never said that in our situations they will always be perfect, there will never be problems, there will never be conflict. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, as we're going to look at chapter 2, in Luke chapter 12 he says, I have not bring, to bring peace, I have not brought peace to families, but I did bring division. Because when we present Christ to those around us, those who are non-believers, those who are called the non-elect, they are not interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's going to bring division in families. It will bring division in your neighborhoods. It will bring division in your jobs. It will bring division everywhere because no one wants to hear about the gospel. And if you're branded the name of Christians, they're not interested. So therefore, there's conflict. But God never promised there would be conflict Around. In fact, you see in the scripture, there'll be tribulation and trials and difficulties, suffering. But God did offer peace. And he offers peace to God and man and to God and man through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Father sent the Son. That's why he was born in a manger to come, to be the likeness of man, so that by coming, God would offer peace to Israel and to all people and to the Gentiles. That's what true peace is about. But where is that conflict? I believe it's in each one of us. There's a story about Brian Welsh, who was a, a mem member of the music band called Korn, not C-O-R-N, but K-O-R-N. It, it was a group in the 90s into the 2000s, still exists today, not as popular. But Brian Welsh was a part of this group. There's, how do you know how popular they were? If you look at in their YouTubes, they have 150 to 200 million views. And they were a very popular group back in the 90s, 2000s. People still listen to it. And in 2005, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He came to trust in the Son of God. For salvation. And in 2005, he gave up a $23 million deal in order to trust and to follow God. And in this article that was written by a Christian in Katy, Texas, he was writing about an interview in Brian Welsh. And Brian said, when I was a young boy at 12 years old, someone led me to faith in Christ. But quickly, as I entered into high school, I experienced drugs and alcohol. My whole life just went aside. And here he was uh, involved, and around the early 20s, he joined this group called Corn. And when he did, he found himself around what would be a household name in music industry, multiple cars, homes, a mass number of groupies to choose from. And in the midst of it all, he was in a dark, fallen hole. Brian Welsh even recalled, he says, I was heavily involved with drugs, alcohol, with crystal meth being my go-to drug of choice. I was depressed, something I had battled with since childhood, and I was struggling just to find the will to live. I now had a daughter, Jenna, and her mother had walked out on us due to drugs. One day I heard her singing one of the corn songs, Adidas, just like the shoes, which is an acronym for All Day I Dream About Sex. I felt like such a loser and a horrible father. I was no good for my kid. And so at this point in his life, Brian had other business ventures under his belt, and one of them was real estate. And God had placed in his life two Christian partners who were thankful and were bold to share their faith 
and faithfully share their faith in God's word and his message of the gospel to Welsh. One day he said, I went to church with them, and when they asked if anyone wanted to be saved at the end of the service, I received Christ that day. I did it for myself, he boldly stated. And see, that's what's happened in all of his life and everything that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. But he knew, he knew in his heart he was in conflict with himself. How many of us, we can say that we're at conflict? And that's what peace, what God has offered is his peace through his son. And that's what we want to look at today. So if you could just look with me right now, the chapter is chapter one we've just been going through in the last couple of weeks with Zechariah. But Zechariah finishes the chapter just before verse 80 and verse 79. He, he adds to his prophecy of what the Jesus, the one who's come to be born, and he adds on, he goes, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So peace is not just offered as an event. It's a way of life. It's a journey. It's in our sanctification, not just in our justification, ultimately for our glorification. There's obviously an eschatological perspective. And as the journey comes, the word peace in the context is to saying that God has sent his son to offer to all people. And then we understand, too, in another passage in Isaiah 9, 6, B through 7a, we see that in the prophecy as many different verses, but one here mentioning about this so-called Jesus, this Messiah, as being the prince of peace, of the increase, his government, and of peace, there will be no end. So it's eternal. And as an eternal perspective, I love what the New English translation note says. It says, this title pictures the king as one who establishes a safe socio economic environment for his people. It hardly depicts him as a meek individual, for he establishes peace through military strength. His people experience safety and prosperity because their invincible king destroys their enemies. We understand Jesus, when he came to die, he came to get rid of or to, to overcome death, Satan, through the blood that he shed on the cross. And that the resurrection that we have, the promise of resurrection, we have that peace, that eternal peace, that, that peace that is offered us at any time, that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. I love how it says in Isaiah 9, 7 of the NET, the New English Translation, it says immeasurable prosperity. That's how they define peace, immeasurable prosperity. So I just wanted to share with you, the teacher in me wants to just share with you how in Luke 1 and 2, with the prophecy, how it was laid out to both Zechariah and to Mary, and now we're going to see this form, this pattern laid out to the shepherds. So first, you see it, what the pattern is, is that you have, number one, you have an appearance of the angels. So the angels appear in each of these episodes, these narratives, um, these motifs, we call them. And then the second thing we see that there's a response of fear. So in each of them, there's a response of fear. Um, as the angel is presented, that he comes as a messenger from God. And then third, you see that there is that reassurance that, we were, that they were sent by God. It's called the divine reassurance of God. And then, and then fourth, it sees that, that the message comes from God. The message is proclaimed from God. So this representative, this angel is the mouthpiece, the messenger of God. 
And then lastly, it's the giving of a sign in each one because the Jew is always looking for the sign for the Messiah to come. And so as Christians, we have to always ask this question, what are we going to do with this peace? And God has offered it to us, and we forget on a daily basis, what does it mean? And I hope that today we could at least look at this and see what, our, what is our responsibilities, Christians. It's not that we need more peace. We don't need more additional peace. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have it. It's sufficient. But what are we to do with it? And so I want to just share with you that I think that one, one particular area that we'll see in this passage is that the shepherds and Zechariah and Mary experienced the presence of God and how we should experience the presence of God. And by experiencing the presence of God, what does that do in sharing this message? So as God has revealed himself and amassed himself to us and now has made known to us this message of peace, what are we to do with it? And are we responsible to share it? So we're going to look at this story very quickly and just look at it and saying, when we do experience God's peace and his presence, what does that mean? What does that involve? How should we see that in this process? So I just want to share this with you, just a couple of things. When we experience God's presence and peace, we hear and we fear God. Let's look at this, again, this passage in Luke chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10, a very familiar Christmas narrative that we often talk about. We we read this at Christmas. Uh, We read it on Christmas morning. We do that with our children. We do that with our family. When we we meet before we even open our presents, we, we recite the Christmas story, and then we have a cake, and we sing happy birthday to Jesus, and then we open up our presents. And so as you look at this verse, you see it's a very familiar story. And in the same region, there were, there were shepherds out in the field. And we know the occupation of a shepherd was of lower class. They were likened to those who were outcasts and sinners. We also know that the higher class were obviously the lawyers and those who were businessmen, but even the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And so these so-called shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, verse 8. And verse 9, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. So again, we have that pattern. The angel of the Lord is appearing to them. And as you see that, you have to think about it. Why would God be interested in sharing it with shepherds, the lower class people, the outcast? What does that say to us? And why are these people being the first to see and hear about this so-called Messiah to be born? But now you look at this other phrase in verse 9. It says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, we always say this word, the glory of God. We pray, may God be glorified in our lives. But do we fully understand what that means? Now, in the Hebrew, the word glory means kabod. It's the word kabod. It means heaviness. So when, we're, when the glory of God shines around us, there's a heaviness of his presence around us. So as the heaviness of God is around us, he's exposing himself to us. He's unmasking himself to us. What does that do to us? How should we respond to that? How are we looking inside? I mean, when the light is exposed in darkness, it reveals things. When God's glory is revealed to us in the midst, what happens? Now, what we think is good, or we think we're actually good, and we pat ourselves in the back and think we're doing things well, that God is so pleased to have us on his team, God is saying, wait a minute, um, let me show you who you really are. 
And we begin to realize that when we get that exposure of the glory of God, the kabod of God, the presence of God, the dogza, then we realize that we're sinners. When we're comparing ourselves to God and not others, we recognize that we're sinners in need of a savior. And the shepherds are there, but what is it that God's exposing? Our faults, our sins. When the light is exposed, when the glory of God is exposed, the Shekinah glory is what of the Old Testament, all of a sudden now we see our faults and we don't like looking at ourselves. We see the inadequacies and we don't like it. We don't want to fail. We see ourselves at a, as a failure at times. We compare ourselves to others. And then we're not at peace. The conflict begins. The conflict begins because when we look in the mirror, the metaphorical mirror, and we see that we're sinners, we don't like it. And so when the glory shines on us, it's heavy. But we have an opportunity. We can hear God's voice and could respond to it. See, what the shepherds did, they responded well. They feared the Lord. Now, fear means frightened. Like it was, wow, what, what was this all about? But there's another meaning of the word that means revere and respect. So they respected the angel, this glory that came from heaven. They knew it wasn't of earth. It was supernatural. And here they were fearful. Expected response. All of us would be expected to respond that way. But when we're familiar with the presence of God, we revere and respect him. And we become accustomed to it. And then we're not afraid anymore. We settle in the, uh, the kabod, the presence of God. We settle in his glory. And then we hear his voice. It's a familiar voice. And, and we humble ourselves. And then God begins to speak to us. It's in those moments when we experience his peace. It's in those moments in our failures and our inadequacies that we know that God still accepts us the way that we are. That although we may compare ourselves and look on Facebook and look on social media and say, wow, they got it all together. Look at their lives. And you look at your life and you look all around. You're like, boy, man, I'm a loser, dude. Just a big old L. You know, you just look at yourself and you're just hanging down on yourself and you just feel like you're going into a dark hole. God's saying, no, I love you. I want you to know that I love you and I'm applauding for you and you're valuable to me. Then all of a sudden now we experience the peace of God. And we hear and we fear and we see and we understand because the beauty is in the submission. The beauty is when the shepherds respond as expected because now when there was fear, now it says the angel said to him, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, the word evangelize is good news there, and it's been mentioned 11 times in the New Testament, but 10 of those 11 times are in the book of Luke. So Luke was writing with the intention to say that this peace that you have, you have now the opportunity to share that good news with others. I've shared it with you. That's what the angel was doing, and now these shepherds have the opportunities we're going to see in this narrative to share it with others. That's the responsibility we'll just find out in a short minute. So we hear and we fear God, and we submit, and we experience God. And when we do, then we are open to share this peace. See, that's what number two is all about. We believe, and we see his hand in our lives and the lives of others. Because then now when we start to see what's going on and what God's doing in our lives, when we experience his peace, we start to see him change us. And then our perspective changes, the lenses changes, our spiritual eyes change, our spiritual perspective changes, and then we start to see God's hand in other people too. 
Because that's when it happens when we start to believe. This is what was happening to the, to the shepherds. They were believing. Verses 11 and onward, it says, For unto you is born this day the city of David, the Davidic king, a savior. A savior, which is only mentioned a couple of times, but here specifically mentioned here in this, in this passage, in this narrative, who is Christ the Lord? Christ the Messiah, Lord Kyrios, the Yahweh, and then the Septuagint, Kyrios and Yahweh are one. So he is the God, the one who has come incarnate deity, as we just sang about. And then in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, lying where the feeding trough is for the animals. Unlikely for a king, unlikely for a position for a king, but yet God in his humility, God in his compassion brings forth in the incarnate Christ to come in humble form. And then verse 13, it says, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those in whom he is pleased. Now this has been a controversial verse for many years. Maybe some of you that if you're old enough, you remember when we were younger and we only had four channels, not like you kids today who have 500 channels, but we only had four channels and we had an antenna and we had to adjust the rabbit ears. There was no, you know, anything else. There was nothing, no cable box. But when it would come up and there would be a commercial before we go to the, to the show, there would be Luke 2.14 and they would show it very quickly on NBC. I remember like the peacock was there and then we would see it. And it was stated, it was stated like this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill toward men. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Goodwill towards men. God likes people who are good human beings, not like me. So, hey, come on, change this channel. I want to get to the show. Come on, let's move on with the commercial. Meaning I would just pass it by. Nice. It was Christmas. It came at Christmas time. Well, let's move on with it. Now, years ago, people wouldn't be conflicted with that verse. Today, you can't even put the verse on on TV because there's too much conflict with that. But the idea is that. This verse was played out of context for too long. That was the King James Version. Let me show you. And it's not refuting the King James Version. It's simply saying that what was read here is true. Because God came to give peace to those whom he has pleased. Who is he pleased with? The elect. Those whom he chose according to his grace. I don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Salvation is a gift. It's nothing we earn. So if God has chosen because of his great will and pleasure, even Ephesians 1, 3, then what is the responsibility? It's the responsibility of the elect to share this great news. He's not asking for the non-elect to do it because they won't do it. But he's called you and I because we have that peace. And when we experience that peace and we see that he's working in our lives, we hear and we see that he's doing a work in our lives, we're going to share it. That's our responsibility. That's why the shepherds move on to say, look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go. Let us go, meaning something happened in their hearts. Because they were told of this message of this baby, this Messiah, who was born in a manger and you had this heavenly host. And now it says, let us go to Bethlehem and see. And see, meaning they believed and then they saw to confirm. They were seeing this thing that has happened. This word happened in the Greek is a perfect active, which means this very event that happened has not just the results of that moment, but the results for the future and of eternity. The perfect active means it's that it's an event that has happened that will have continuous results. So the, the, the shepherds knew. They believed. There was faith. It says, which has the Lord has made known to us. When it was just an angel. 
now they knew it was the Lord that spoke to them. It was confirmed. They said, we got to go. The word made known to us is reveal, expose, unmask. So the unmasking of the son has been unmasked in the hearts of these shepherds, and they wanted to tell everyone else. They wanted to confirm it so they could share it. That was the responsibility. You and I cannot. It's not an option to share Jesus Christ. It is your responsibility. It is mine. We've got to take that opportunity at any time. God gives us the opportunity. We don't need any more peace. We have it all. It's sufficient in Jesus Christ. We don't need additional peace. God's called us to it. And these shepherds who were lowly class shepherds, I mean so low they couldn't even vote in legal matters. They weren't allowed to be in the court sessions because they were low class. God said, I will go to them. I just love God. I love his compassion. I love that he reaches out to the, low, to the lowly because I'm one of them. And I don't know why he would even consider me. But these were shepherds who were humble. And it says they went on with haste. Now, it doesn't mean that they just hurried up because they had to get there. They hurried up because that was their faith. They responded with responsibility and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. That was confirmation. What happens? I think sometimes what happens is we forget. Because I really believe we're not in the presence of God. I think we miss that sometimes. We're not sitting in the presence of God. We're not hearing his voice. We're not submitting. Sometimes we're not believing in our sanctification. And we're not seeing God at work. Sometimes we're just missing it. That's why we don't go out and tell. Because we're not seeing a living faith in our lives. We get caught up. We allow the conflict that's outside of us consume us. That we don't deal with the conflict in our own hearts. See, God is saying, I want to give you peace. But the peace I've given you is through my son. It's not, I'm going to give you peace in your circumstances. I'm going to give you peace in my son. That's where the peace is. And there might be some people over here who are not sitting in the presence of God. And when you don't have the kabod and the heaviness, you kind of just kind of push it off. You avoid it. You escape it. And you exclude it in your life because you think, oh, everything's great. All these things are great. Remember the things I listed at the beginning? Everything's great. My kids are great. My spouse is great. Everything's great. I don't have any financial problems. Everything's great. So we think that's the peace of God, that we're having peace with God. When God is saying, wait a minute, have you been in my presence? And we get conflicted with that. But the conflict isn't outside of us. It's in us. It's in us. And God is saying, I want to, you to spend time in my presence, not to be this heaviness to judge you, but to present this incredible good news of my son, this amazing message of the gospel, and to continue to believe in it. And by when we do that, we see the Lord and what he's done in our lives and the lives of others, and then we're compelled to tell others. That's called a testimony. That's what God wants to do. In fact, the last thing that, that he wants us to do is he wants us to tell and sell the greatest message ever given. The word sell is in quotes because you know when you and I, we buy things and we love it. It could be a kitchen. It could be an Instapot. It can be something. And you just know that if you're a woman and you're cooking or a man and you're sitting there and you're cooking and you just love all the meals that you're cooking and you're saying, man, I love this thing. It's so convenient. I get to cook my meals in half the time. And you start doing an info commercial to your friend. And then you lay it all out and you're saying, yo, man, this is the, this is the, the bomb diggity, man. Like, this is the thing, man. I'm going to do this. You need to buy this thing. Why? Because, see, I 
I've experienced it. I experienced the convenience. I experienced it, and I want to share it with others. When we experience the peace of God, when we hear and we see what God's doing, we want to tell others about it. Why don't we share it? Why do we struggle? I read an article from Desire and God, the founder of that web ministry is John Piper, and it was entitled, Four Reasons Why We Don't Share the Gospel. The author, Stephen Lee, states this. These are four obstacles. See if you'll agree with the author. The first one is the lack of gospel knowledge. We hear the gospel often, but can't articulate the gospel. We hear it every Sunday. We hear it on other podcasts. You get your favorite preacher out there, and you're listening to him. And you're hearing the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, podcast, gospel, but you just don't find yourself articulating. He's saying a lot of people just don't make it a priority in their lives to learn how to articulate it. Number two, he says there's apathy. If we cared enough to share the gospel, what would be the priorities look like? What would our priorities look like? We, have, we make no time, nor we pray, nor have any relationships with non-Christians. He says often that's what's happening with a lot of Christians today. He says number three, it's a fear. That's what he says. The fear is there. What will others think of me? I'm a Jesus freak. Is that what they're going to think? Some are paralyzed by the thought of being disliked, marginalized, laughed at, or even openly mocked. Afraid of losing your business. Afraid that no one's going to invite your kid to parties or invite you because you guys are weird. Or the lack of compassion. He says, do we really believe that people will be separated from Christ for eternity if they don't trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that? Because if we did, would that change our priorities and change our schedules and change everything that we do? He goes on, he says, we just don't care much, he said. We might say we care, but we rarely cry out to God for the salvation of our lost neighbors, co-workers, and classmates said, it's, it's inconvenient. He says, oh, if we can just get the compassion of Paul. Romans 9.3, he says, I could wish that I myself would be accursed and cut off for Christ and for the sake of my brothers. See, we have to look at these things and realize how we're going to prioritize. There's always the good and there's a chasm between good intentions and actions. There's a chasm there. Why are we not sharing the gospel like we should when we have the responsibility to do that? See, they did. They shared it. They shared it. In verse 17, it says this, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They saw it. They believed it. They saw it. I mean, they heard it. They saw it. And now they told it. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The word wondered is written 18 times in Lukean writings. Which means this word amazed this word is, it means that they were extraordinarily impressed or disturbed by something. So they didn't care what people thought. They just had to share it because they experienced the peace of God. They had a fresh, new anointing of God. They saw his presence. They saw heaven. They saw what God was doing, and they wanted to tell others about it. How many of us today need a fresh anointing from God to be able to sense his presence? We can use every excuse in the book and say it's because of COVID. It's because of COVID. But it's not because God has not stopped us to share a message. We have a phone. We have an email. We can connect with people still in this world. And so what we have to understand is whether we were back in the 70s, yeah, it might have been tougher, 
But we could still get a cardboard and write it out and tell people if we really wanted to be that crazy. Yes, we would be crazy. Yes, people would call you a Jesus freak. But who cares? Because we're bared the name of Christmas and we, Christian and we have the responsibility to share the gospel. We have a responsibility. There's no more excuses. I have people who are telling me, Bruno, we can't use the excuse of COVID anymore. I said, no, we can't. And it has been eating at me every day. Because we've got to share the gospel, not as just a church and organization, as individuals, but corporately we're doing that today. If someone's watching in, they're hearing the gospel. You are here hearing the gospel. And so we have to understand how important that is. A couple of years back, about 20 or so, I worked in a pizzeria. And as you can imagine, working in a pizzeria, I was the only one who spoke English and um, the others around me, the waitresses did, but in the family, I was the only one who really spoke English well, some of the kids of the family. And I joined this family, this Italian family that I really enjoyed being with. And obviously, they did not know Christ, but they were, um, but they, they were happy to hear that, you know, I was a believer and that I had just graduated from Bible college. Well, as you can imagine, I'm sharing Christ as much as I can, being a witness. And you can imagine the language, and you can imagine the sexual innuendos, and all the talk, and all the statements that are mentioned. But I recall of a time that I forgot about in 1995 when there was a young waitress there who came up to me and asked me to question, Bruno, I'm Catholic, and I'm just struggling with what it means to know God. And it was around Easter. And I took her aside, and I started talking to her, and the Holy Spirit said to me, share the gospel with her. So I did. She came to faith in Christ. And I didn't think much of it. i got to be honest with you. I moved on with my life. Gather she did too. 2013, when I was at LCBC Church on staff for about six months, I saw her in the foyer. She came up to me. She goes, Bruno, do you remember me? I said, man, I forgot your name. She goes, remember we worked at Kiaros together? I said, oh, yeah, what is your name? And she told me her name. She goes, Bruno, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I came to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember I said, recall, I just help me remember. And she told me, you shared Christ with me in 1995. I said, I did. She goes, and it came to heart. My life changed. I said, oh, my gosh. She goes, you, you've been in my testimony every time I've shared it. She goes, I got baptized with my daughter. I've been walking with the Lord. And she goes, you were a big part of that. I just started crying. I was praising God in my spirit. I said, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I made a difference in your life. Because how many times we share the gospel, we don't even know if it just falls at the wayside. We just plant the seed and we move on. But God did a work. And all I knew was I had to, I was responsible to share the gospel. That is my passion. My wife could tell you, wherever I go, I want to share the gospel because someone can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because people who don't, they'll be eternally separated from God. Do you believe that? That's our opportunity. I shared with her on Messenger last the other day, and she wrote back to me, Bruno, thanks. I said, I'm sharing your testimony. She said, thanks. We've got to be, I'm, I've been so complacent at times that I've just been so frustrated because we get around so many Christians that we've got to make it a priority in our lives to do it. Going back to Brian Wells, that was his passion. That was his passion. After being asked the question, after he came back to, the mem to be a member of Corn again in 2012, the person who interviewed him said, how about those temptations? He goes, well, he goes, I have a responsibility for my daughter who came to faith in Christ. And he went on to say that, you know, I share Christ after each concert. I just share Christ with people around me. 
all those who are there. He goes, I take the opportunity. He goes, what about the temptations? He goes, he goes I just know that I have to make Christ to be in present in my life on a consistent basis. He goes, as soon, he wrote this, he goes, as soon as you turn to the world and its pleasures, it takes you. This is what Brian wrote. We have to let go of those idols, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. My addiction now is Jesus Christ. What an awesome testimony. And then he asks him, what's one of your favorite verses? And he looks down on one of his tattoos. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. But the life which I now live is in the flesh. I live by the faith, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How important is that today? People will wonder, who cares what people are going to say? We don't know in verse 18 whether those people came to faith in Christ, but we know that we have the opportunity. If we experience God's presence and his peace, it should always lead to praise and the opportunity to tell someone else. It should always lead to praise. That's what it says in Luke 2.20. It says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they have heard and seen as it has been told to them. Heard, seen, and as it's been told to them. You know, Luke wrote those things because he said you have to report what you've seen. You and I, when we share the gospel, we're reporting what God's doing in our lives and the lives of others. You know, I just glorifying the word, as I said earlier, we often use that so loosely, means to influence one's opinion upon another so to enhance the latter's reputation, praise, honor, and extol. See, God has unmasked himself through his son. He has made known to us the gospel, and we should unmask that and tell others about it. It's our responsibility as the elect. It's our responsibility, but we need to experience his peace. We don't just need to do it out of duty. We want to do it out of desire. So I ask you the question. Are you experiencing God's presence and peace? Are you experiencing the peace with him? Not those things on the outside. Will you take this opportunity this Christmas to share the greatest story ever told? Where's your conflict? Is it in you? I hope that if you have experienced conflict, you will turn to the Lord, experience his peace and his presence, and be able to share that peace that you've experienced with him with others. I'd encourage you to do that. That's our responsibility. Take a moment and pray for me, guys. Father, we're so grateful to you. You are awesome, God. Thank you for reminding us today the peace that you've given to us is sufficient. It's been offered through your son. You've offered us peace with you. You didn't say we had to have peace in our circumstances. In fact, you say we will not have peace in our circumstances. But we have that peace with you, and it's our responsibility to share it with others. So God, would you please move in a mighty way through Grace Church and all around the world in your universal church, to experience your peace so that we will tell others. I pray that we will hear your voice and fear you. I pray that we will believe you and see you. 
And I pray that we will tell and sell what you are doing in our lives to others, the non-elect, those who have not experienced your peace. What a great opportunity, God. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to bear the name of Christian, even in a world that wants to destroy us. So God, please, I pray you put on your people an opportunity this Christmas season, even though we're limited in hanging out with people, to take every opportunity to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. And God, may you impress upon our hearts and believe that if someone doesn't trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, they will be eternally separated from you. They'll be in an, a, a cabode or an abode, excuse me, an abode of hell. We don't want that, Lord. So please impress on our hearts to share the gospel. We love you. 